welcome to After the Bell with your host, Laura. If you like what you hear today, please rate and review kindly. This show is a series of conversations with educators and learners to try and deconstruct some of the stereotypes around education. If you'd like to know more about me, please visit my Instagram page at EducatingLaura. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a really special episode and it is a conversation I have with my mother's group. So the three women I have here today are Katrina, who is a town planner, Sarah, who is a teacher and Simone, who is a barrister. And I would like to say that she actually sat the bar when her son was four months old. So the most determined woman in any of her pursuits. The reason I wanted to have this conversation as part of After the Bell is because I have never learnt more than in the time that I've been a mum. My two children have taught me so much about the world, about myself, about my values and also my shortcomings. I find that my children are the biggest mirror to me and they show me all the best parts of myself reflected in them as well as some of the parts of myself that perhaps need some healing or need some greater attention. And so the way that I've structured this episode today is I've asked each of the ladies to provide me a quote about life, motherhood, work, being a female in society, and then we discuss each quote. I also would like to make mention that it took us two goes to record this because of some technical difficulties and with little children Katrina's daughter at the time we first recorded was quite young and is actually in the episode you'll be able to hear her because she's needing Katrina throughout the recording and so we do talk about lockdown because during the first recording we were locked down although now we're out I also hadn't made the decision to go back to work yet so just clarifying why I seem very unsure of what I'm doing in 2021 so just wanted to let you know that it has taken a little time to get out there because we did have to do two sittings of recordings. And before I hand it over to the conversation, this is going to be my last small business shout out. And again, this is not sponsored. In fact, I found this on a mum's group page on Facebook that I'm on and I thought it was the perfect shout out to do for this episode. So the post says, hi mums, nearly three years ago, I was diagnosed with postnatal depression, anxiety and PTSD after the birth of my beautiful son. After a year and a half, including two perinatal psych ward admissions, I began to feel more myself. So I decided I wanted to do something for mums who were going through a similar or just as tough time in their motherhood journey to me. That's where I came up with my project in March last year called the Elm Care Box. I create and donate self-care boxes for mamas doing it tough. I don't profit from this at all. I purely do this as a passion and because I want mums to be reminded how important they are and how much they need to look after themselves too. This is all made possible by gorgeous local businesses donating their products and by raising money to buy different things including boxes, labels, etc. The only thing I charge is $20 for the shipping as I find most of the project myself is hard to be out of pocket for everything else. Alternatively, she is offering a drop-off service if you live within a 20km radius. So far, she has made 200 boxes for mums all across Australia and also donated to perinatal psych wards and respite centres here in Victoria. So I think this is a beautiful initiative that this mum is putting out there after obviously her own struggles and understanding that there is a need for this kind of self-care for mums. And I'll put all the details in the show notes. And I will say community is the most important thing when you bring home a child. I remember my daughter was born late December and we were actually discharged from hospital on Christmas day and of all the days shops were closed and I had a bit of trouble feeding and I got home and a friend of mine had left a big box of all her go-to things including a pump so that I actually feed my child on Christmas day literally the only day that shops are closed and if I hadn't had that I would have had to go to hospital been back in hospital for Christmas day and a couple of days later I remember another friend coming over with just piles and piles of food and things like muffins that you can actually eat one-handed while you're feeding. I'll never forget those little acts of kindness. They meant a lot to me. Here is my conversation with Kat, Simone and Sarah. Ooh. 
Hello, everyone. I have Simone, Kat, and Sarah here from my mother's group. We met in 2017 in March, I believe, when we all had our first babies. So I thought that it would be really great to have you on for a discussion about the four main things that we have in common in terms of our lives and the way that we've experienced the world. And I've decided to do it a bit differently this time in that I've asked you guys to contribute some stimulus material in in the form of a quote for each topic. So I'd like to start with the first topic, which is the idea of education and your belief around learning. And Kat, your quote is the first one I want to use. Are you ready? Yep, ready. So Kat, your quote was, education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. Why did you choose that quote? So I remember when I was very young, I was told that even if you're stripped of everything, if you're in a war-torn country, stripped of absolutely everything, what you've learned and your education is something that can never be taken off you. And so um, what was your question? (laughs) Why did I choose it? I feel I need to let everybody know you are currently rocking a, what, six month? No, she's not even. What is she now? No, she's nearly four months. In two weeks? Next week? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a bit distracted. <laughs> so, yeah, so why do I think it's powerful? So I think that when I, what I was taught growing up is that education is really important because no matter what, it can't be taken off you. But at the same time, what I've come to learn is that education is not just schooling education it can also be learning from life experiences and other people and their stories that's what I'm I think I've come to learn from that. Um, Simone speaking here I think that's a really interesting hearing Kat explain the meaning of that quote to her because when I sort of first read it I didn't read it as non-formal education as well. I sort of simply read it as formal education being the most powerful weapon. And so I think that's a that's a really important aspect um, of that for me, particularly like neither of my parents finished high school uh, and my husband didn't finish high school. So um, to me, uh, education is not necessarily, formal education is not necessarily the most powerful thing, but certainly life experience um, for all the, all three of those people has made a significant amount of difference um, and has had a real impact on me and developing me as a person as well. Why do you think you didn't see it as outside the formal classroom originally? I think just because I'm a very logical, straight, <laughs> straight thinker that doesn't think outside the box sometimes. And so I just sort of I don't know, I think particularly when you asked us to look at a quote about education, I I had it in my head as formal education. I think even as a teacher, I always think that education or learning is well beyond the classroom. I certainly don't think that students, when they finish year 12, are necessarily prepared for everything that life is going to throw at them. And so I do think that it's more about that informal learning as such. And I really like that um, Kat said, you know, it can't be taken away from you. Once you have that knowledge on whatever it might be, it really can't be taken away from you. And the idea that it can change the world, I think sometimes we think that changing the world has to be this really big thing and it's not. We really underestimate our impact to change the world in really small ways. So having that knowledge can make those small changes, even if it's just for our lives and the people, you know, closest to us. Mm. So, Sarah, your quote was... Once you stop learning, you start dying. Can you explain why you chose that quote around education? Yeah. Um, So there's a lot of really good quotes that I found. And I wanted something that was along, you know, lifelong learning. And I really like that it's blunt and simple because basically I think that, you know, we're learning in two different ways. We're actively learning. We want to learn. I know I want to learn. If there's anything I've learned, it's that, you know, I probably still have a lot to learn. I like the idea of, you know, you're absorbing everything around you from everybody you meet, you know, from, you know, my three-year-old is still teaching me things um, and will continue to teach me things. And in my class, I'm learning too. But I think it also just happens whether we want it to or not, you know, so we're all at the stage of learning like the Paw Patrol song, whether you want to know it or not. Um, You know, so you do have to be active in your learning but I think it also just naturally happens around us so when we're really not paying attention to anything what are we doing we're not growing anymore so I don't see for myself that I'm ever going to finish my learning journey yeah I also think too that society will push us to keep learning because even in the few conversations I've had with obviously people in my life but also younger people they're not even growing up in the world that we grew up in and things that 
I still hold on to in terms of concerns and worries about society, they don't even see as a problem anymore. Or they see other things as problems that I didn't see anymore. So I think even based on the fact that society is constantly evolving, we've seen it so much this year, especially with the lockdowns and technology and having to be malleable and flexible, I think that we're going to be forced to learn always. Kat, do you have anything to add? Just that this quote reminded me a lot of my grandpa and he was always telling us to keep reading, keep learning and to keep fit. And so that's why it reminded me if we don't keep, I guess, our mind healthy and our body healthy, then, yeah, what's the point of living? <laughs> Do you know, that, I don't know if that sounds harsh. <laughs> but is that, a life, is that a life worth living if we're not – I don't think it's a life worth living if you're not yeah. constantly learning and growing and evolving yeah, and keeping your mind and your body fit, I guess. Simone, yours is the last quote, and you had, if you are not willing to learn, no one can help you. If you are determined to learn, no one can stop you. Why did you choose that one? Uh, it's probably more the second half that I related to more than anything. Throughout my schooling and even once I was at university, I had a lot of terrible teachers, really, sort of bullies and you know, people sort of that I look back now and probably had jealousy issues, tall poppy syndrome, that sort of thing. And so, you know, there was a lot of, I had quite a few teachers sort of try to humiliate me and, and things like that. So, you know, I went on to, to finish an arts degree, a law degree, a master's in law. And so I, I sort of look back on that schooling and think, like, I was determined to learn no matter what, regardless what these teachers you know, what outcome they wanted. And it's funny because I was sort of thinking about this and, and how I was sort of going to articulate it. And I don't actually really remember many of my good teachers. Um, they kind of just sort of blend into the background. It's sort of the awful ones that <laughs> come to the forefront of mind when I think about my schooling. So, yeah, so that's why this quote um, resonated with me. If you had to describe the ideal teacher or the teacher that would have made the biggest difference in your life what qualities do you think they would have had um just nurturing I think recognizing potential and nurturing it Pat and I went to the same high school but I was in year 12 when she was in year seven <laughs> <laughs> yes I've done that yes <laughs> and I don't know if you felt this cat but I never felt as though I connected with teachers at all I saw teachers being passionate. I was taught by teachers who had a great wealth of knowledge, but in terms of being nurtured and supported individually, I never felt that I had that. I'm wondering if you had a different experience at that school. No, I think the same. I think the teachers that I related to a lot more than others were the ones that I guess opened up a bit more about their personal life and you know what they do after hours. Well, not after. <laughs> <laughs> not when they're clubbing. Not that. Not that after hours. <laughs> Um, and so I think those sort of teachers were relatable, but I don't think there was any, I didn't really feel nurtured or it was just basically you learn and you conform and that's it. <laughs> yeah, well, I had the same experience and I think that there was a lot of us and them, you know, we are the disciplinarian, we are the authority and you will learn the way we tell you to learn in the correct school uniform. That's kind of how it felt for me. Yeah. And it's not to say that they weren't good teachers, but I don't think they were almost allowed to develop some of those relationships. And we certainly weren't encouraged to create those relationships with them. That's how I felt at least. And obviously that's from, you know, a 13-year-old to a 17-year-old, obviously not as um, confident, I suppose, as I am now to even ask for some of that yeah. nurturing that maybe I might have needed. I definitely agree. I was raised to... Um always question authority and question your teachers, but I don't think I actually did in reality. I think basically mm. what the teachers said went and, yeah, didn't question them, didn't, I guess, I guess also we were taught in a Catholic environment, so I didn't really even learn about, you know, things outside the religion <laughs> that it might be controversial. Yeah. yeah. Well, we had, we had nuns teaching us personal development. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> Yeah, you and laugh. I remember one nun. She she told yeah, she told us one nun. Um, <laughs> she said, "You girls are rude, crude, and vulgar." <laughs> That's like something you'd hear in like what 
70s. You know what? I, f- I felt as though we weren't allowed to ask certain questions and some of those questions and some of that information was, I think, more integral to life and to understanding showing up in the world as a female than some of the things we were taught, I felt at least. And I think that, you know, we were never encouraged to have some of those inquisitive conversations. It was, this is the curriculum, this is how you do it, this is what the end point has to be. Yep. And I don't really remember learning how to learn at all. And definitely didn't learn anything about life, real life. And, I mean, we even learnt this <laughs> dances with the the Catholics, what's it called, the Brothers School, and <laughs> learned to do, you know, foxtrot and things yeah. like that, like they're trying to match make the Catholics in the area. <laughs> <laughs> Legit. Isn't that ridiculous? Yeah. I wish I could. I wish somebody could see Simone's face right now. It is hilarious. <laughs> no, but I didn't. I didn't think about it at all. It just. I just absorbed it, and I didn't realize that things were different. But I didn't realize that people. Some people lived the way that they live until I went to uni and met. Had made friends outside of this bubble, and I went to their houses, and I remember coming home and saying, "I can't believe people live like that." <laughs> mm. Mm. And it's just Ooh, very sheltered. Oh, so sheltered. And what about you, Sarah? I always think it's a little bit funny. I probably didn't enjoy school myself and here I am a teacher and I love my job. Um, but when Simone was talking about her experience at school, that it's a bit heartbreaking actually to think that that would be somebody's experience. And I'm not saying that mine was any better because I don't remember good or bad things from it, to be honest. But as a teacher now... I really hope that I'm the opposite of that. Like hearing those stories from people, their school experience, I hope that that's not the teacher I am. I hope that my students are coming to me and talking to me and I hope that I'm nurturing and I know I probably do overshare a little bit with my year 12s um, and they love it because they don't have to do any work. So they want me to keep talking. (laughs) Um, So I, But I think it also makes you relatable. Yeah, and, and I, I really hope that that's what happens in my classroom. Um, obviously, it would be a little bit different if it was primary school, but it's not. I'm, I'm teaching seniors. And, yeah, it's just it's nice to sort of think that it, that might be making a big difference on them for them. You know, they're coming to school, they've had a really crappy day, things aren't so great at home, but here they are sitting in a classroom having a joke with a teacher and talking about some life skill type stuff rather than, you know, being slammed for not having finished their homework or get a particular result on a test. So, yeah, like I said, I think that education is beyond that bookwork type stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hopefully my classroom's like that. But I don't necessarily have comments about my own experience. Maybe it was so awful I blocked it out. No, <laughs> I don't think it was so awful. Um, I just, it was just school. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I remember once I was waiting for the train. I must have been doing something after school. And I was waiting for the train. It was must have been five o'clock. And I saw one of my teachers leave and I thought, what is she still doing there? What could she possibly have to do? So there's always that really young mind that doesn't understand to exactly what's going on behind the scenes. So the second topic is the idea about being a woman in society and being raised a woman, showing up as a woman in society. And Kat, your quote is, if you are always trying to be normal, you will never know how amazing you can be. So why did you choose that one? Yeah, so I think that quote relates sort of back to what we were saying about high school and conforming and basically not really having a voice, just doing what we're being told to do, never question the teachers and what they say goes. And then I think coming out of high school and getting into the real world outside of that bubble, then you realise that you don't have to be like a sheep. Do you know what I mean? You don't have to think like, every single other person that's wearing that exact same uniform as you and it's very, I guess, like a controlled, uh, I don't know how to explain it, like a controlled um, atmosphere sort of. And so I think once you step out of that sort of thinking and learn to think for yourself and do what you want to do, then that's when I think you start to shine as a person. Sarah, do you have something to say about that? I don't really have anything to add. I just agree. (laughs) Are you happy to jump in, Simone? Sure. Um, Yeah, I really liked this quote as well. I'm not someone who I think conforms. I'm in a profession that's still predominantly dominated by men. And, you know, as women in that profession, we're told to behave a certain way. And I pride myself on not behaving in that way. 
And so, I, yeah, I really like this quote. I, I love the idea of encouraging women in society to not conform to what is expected of them by society and, and through that, um, realising their potential. So, Sarah, you chose the quote, strong women don't have attitudes, they have standards and boundaries. So why did you choose this one? Why did I choose this one? One, I like short quotes. Um, <laughs> I most of mine are pretty short. I, I just think that the attitude that people say that women have is often it's it's a negative thing. And I don't think that our attitudes are negative things. I think that, you know, that strong women do have boundaries and standards and I think that's a good thing. What I really like is that idea of reframing that term attitude because the idea of being ambitious and being aggressive, they're all very positive terms when it comes to being a man and they all seem to be very positive masculine attributes and yet as a female we are often criticised for the same attributes and yet we've been living in a very patriarchal society for a really long time and so in order to live in that and do well in that, we need to have some of those masculine attitudes and attributes and so I think I like the fact that this quote looks at, well, let's not use a masculine term for a female and try and use a more positive term for the same thing so that we don't garner negative criticism. I kind of liked that about this quote. Did you just make that up off the top of your head or did you write that down? No. Um, yes. Well, that's kind of what I was trying to say, but you said it so much better. <laughs> Sorry. And that's why it's Laura's podcast. <laughs> yeah, but I don't use that language. So um, maybe that's why I'm more relatable in my year 12 female class because I don't speak like that. <laughs> um, no, but that's what I th- That's when you started talking. That's where I was like, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I, I, look, I do agree. And that's what I was trying to get at, that I wasn't necessarily thinking feminine or masculine. I was thinking more that it seems to always have this negative connotation that women have this attitude, whether it's aggressive or, you know, assertive is probably a better word. But yeah, it is just about having standards and having some boundaries um, and looking after ourselves. And, you know, women that look after themselves in terms of look out for themselves, whether it's in the workforce or in society or, you know, however it may be, do get judged negatively sometimes, maybe because it's, you know, deemed as being assertive or aggressive or ambitious. There's a million other words that I could probably use there as well. But that's basically the gist of of why I chose that. Yeah, I completely agree with this quote in that it's something that I think I had to learn in my workplace because I'm a town planner. So I deal with a lot of builders and tradies that Mm -hmm. at the start, I guess, were, um, they just thought like, you know, saw me as a young woman that they could just have it over and, you know, lie to to get whatever they want or plans or whatever. And so I think that's... Like I had to learn that to stand up for myself, to tell them where to go. And then once, because like, for example, I was in, um, I was in one job. I'm basically still working for them for like the last 10 plus years. And I've grown so much in that office in that I guess I'm not walked all over anymore because I do have gotten a lot older. So I don't really take anyone's shit anymore, but, um, I've set those standards and put those, boundaries in place so I guess so I am respected in the workplace. What was it about town planning that appealed to you coming out of high school? I did not even know that was a job. Oh no, so coming out of high school I wanted to get into the criminal justice industry I guess you'd call it and I did a degree, hated it, a Bachelor of Social Science in Criminal Justice, didn't like it so I just got a job, whatever I could find that was close to home, ended up in a town planning office. Okay. But oh yep, <laughs> I'll study this. <laughs> so I went and got um so I got my what I get advanced diploma and then my master's in planning and um been doing it yeah ever since so for the last yeah 10 11 years is it quite a male dominated workforce or not oh it is very male dominated and it's very e- egotistical egotistical yeah <laughs> very full of themselves oh very ego driven full of themselves you know who's who's a bigger man in the industry. So why do you like it? I actually learned to like, I really learned to like, I guess, maybe because I'm also married to a concreter. And so now we've got like the whole planning, the concreting and the building side of things. And now we've started to do development. Mm. So I think it 
it, it fits in really well with my life now. Mm. And I also, I do like the challenge of, of the whole planning world and now I like dealing with, I don't know, how do you explain them? <laughs> now I like dealing with difficult clients. Is it kind of more of a challenge for you now rather than something scary? Oh, yeah. Yeah, now it is for sure. Is it that you that you enjoy kind of the art of managing those personalities? Yeah, for sure. So it was just a few years ago. I was thinking I want to get into the project management side of things where it's just like the whole project from start to beginning of, you know, the construction industry and, yeah, dealing with those personalities and, I guess, putting people in their place. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's there's kind of a real enjoyment to that, to learning how to manage difficult personalities and getting them to do what you want. I think there's there's like a real level of enjoyment to that. Yeah, and I think especially as a female because yep. especially like you would know with your work, yep. it's just, yeah, it is it's satisfying to really put these people in their place. Some of the strategies that you, that you guys have found to be useful? I definitely use the, um, you know, you catch more flies with honey kind of approach. I think I, I come across as particularly nice or sweet to start with and that tends to get particularly your older males on board, uh, not, not in any way in a sexual way or anything like that, but it, it tends to make, to, to massage their ego in a way that gets them on your side and then you're able to effectively do what you want or get your own way once you've managed to, to get them on side. Um, and I really enjoy that art form of, you know, you, you talk to someone, you say, oh, I'm working with so-and-so and they're, oh, they're so difficult. Oh, you know, they just want to do everything their own way or they do this or do they that. And me just going, all right, challenge accepted. You know, I'm going to make this person like me and then I'm going to make them do what I want. <laughs> and, um, and I get some real satisfaction out of, um, out of getting, getting my way. <laughs> really? <laughs> but in a way, it's playing that game, isn't it? It's almost turning up in that feminine way and using that as best you can to make strides in the masculine world, right? Uh, it just reminds me there was, um, I think there was a quote about Queen Elizabeth I who, you know, in her youth people would underestimate her constantly and it was often how she managed to get what she wanted because she was totally underestimated because she was, you know, young and female and, and relatively attractive and I remember there's sort of a, a point in time where, you know, that didn't work for her anymore because she was starting to get older and less appeal and people started to know who she was and that she was, you know, bitterly disappointed that she no longer had that element of surprise as a weapon to get people to do what she wanted. And I think I, I definitely use that, in, you know, in my dealings at work. I definitely use that element of surprise, sort of, you know, lure them in thinking that I'm you know, basically getting them to completely underestimate me and then, you know, annihilating them in court. And what about you, Cap? Yeah, so I, depends on the personality of the person, I will usually be sweet and nice and basically get your own way most of the time during doing that. Otherwise, if you don't, then you just give it back just as good. I don't feel that I relate as much to this because in teaching, I mean, it's a very female-dominated world and I've never felt that I've had to put on a facade or had to use those sorts of strategies in. I don't know if this quote has necessarily been something that's been relevant in my work. It might be more in my personal life or, you know, within my family, those sorts of things. But, yeah, I can't say that I've necessarily had to come up with any tricks to get my own way at work necessarily. All right, Simone, your quote is next and yours is, and I think this is so perfect for you. When I read it, I thought, yep, that's Simone. The obligation for working mothers is a very precise one. The feeling that one ought to work as if one did not have children while raising one's children as if one did not have a job. Would you like to give a little bit of context to your homework life in terms of how much work you are doing and the kind of pressure of your work? Um, sure. I um, have a husband who is FIFO, fly in, fly out. He is at home for two weeks at a time and then away for two weeks at a time. We have two little boys. One is um, three and a half and one turns one next week. Yay, lockdown. And I, when I'm not in lockdown, work a full-time job as a barrister. And so when my husband's away, it it is intense. It's um, It's difficult. Usually... 
I, you know, court finishes at four most of the time. So I, you know, manage to get the boys at around 4.30 and then we go through the bed, bath, dinner routine and then they get into bed at seven and then I start working again. And I love it. I love my job so much. Um, I work so hard to get where I am. And I'm so glad that I did because I absolutely love it. But I don't think that I would be able to sustain, sustain this lifestyle if I didn't love this job <laughs> because it's, it's really intense. Mm. There's an expectation, hopefully less so after this whole COVID situation, there's an expectation yeah. as a barrister that you are 100% committed to your job. You are there. You don't have a life outside of your job. But then I think society has this expectation of us as working mums that that we need to be 100% present for our children. And, you know, I never questioned the choices that I made because I was always ambitious and career-driven. It was not going to be an issue for me to put my kids into childcare early. You know, that just, it wasn't even a, a consideration for me. And, you know, but you, you read all this stuff on social media and what have you about you know, women feeling guilty for putting their children in childcare or for working or, and then you sort of start to second guess yourself, oh, should I be feeling guilty that, you know, that I don't feel guilty that they're in childcare four days a week or five days a week. So I think there's this expectation from society on mums these days, which is just completely unrealistic Um, and an ongoing expectation from society that we perform as though we don't have children when we're at work. I still remember I worked for an organisation um, over in Perth for a little while and I remember there was one mum whose kids were pretty regularly sick and as soon as she'd have to leave the office mm-hmm. to go pick one of the kids up, the whispers would sort of go around like, oh, you know, she's had to leave again. And, you know, I sort of didn't really think much of it at the time. But now having kids myself and, you know, realising the pressures, you know, there was kind of a the feeling was that she was slacking off, you know, that she was leaving and slacking off but you know now having children myself like I know that she was probably heartbroken that she had to keep leaving work you know particularly if she loved her job and that she wasn't doing it to slack off she was doing it to go do her other full-time job so yeah anyway that's uh why this quote resonated with me can I ask obviously we've talked a lot about being a mum and then juggling work how does this quote relate to being a female and just purely that idea of being a woman in society for you Um, I think because we talk about gaining equality and sharing the load and sharing the mental load, sharing the home load, but when it comes down to it, women still bear the brunt of everything and particularly in my house. And I knew that, you know, when I met my partner, he was, he was FIFO. He was, uh, no matter what was going to happen, he loves his job. He was never going to stop being FIFO. And so I went into that relationship. I got married to him and then I had two kids with him knowing that that was the life that I was taking on and that, mm. you know, that I was always going to be the dominant home body in terms of, you know, carrying that mental load of, of everything to do with the kids, you know, from immunizations to packing lunches to whatever. So I knew that that's what I was accepting when when I married him. But having said that, I'm in quite an unusual situation in terms of him working away. But I think that that is still predominantly the dynamic in our society is that women bear that brunt. Mm. I think even from my experience, I felt that I've, I guess, because I went on maternity leave and my husband's job was the one that allowed me to stay on maternity leave. I think there is a natural thing that happens where you start to elevate their job while you're home. At least that's what I felt. I don't know if anybody else felt that way because I was home and the way I was able to be at home was for him to be working and to bring in the money. And I can see that did naturally happen for me. And I think there is that societal conditioning that does make that a natural process. We didn't discuss the idea of him taking much paternity leave. In fact, when I had both of my kids, he was back at work a week later because he ran his own business. And from then, the mental load has stopped with me in terms of the kids and all of that. And again, it's something I've accepted, but I'm wondering whether I've accepted is because I've been conditioned to as a female in society. And I've seen that that's how it seems to go. And that's how Women have always done it. And I think that the younger generation are less conditioned from what I'm 
reading and seeing from them, but I think that I definitely have been. It's funny because I think that I always thought that I wasn't going to fall into that role. I yeah. I never saw myself being a stay-at-home mum, mm. you know, it just wasn't me and it wasn't going to be me and that wasn't going to be my future. But but I did exactly the same thing as you, Laura. We didn't discuss it. We didn't, you know, that's just what it was. So, yeah, so I think that that, that, that is very much, you know, and particularly my husband, you know, works in a very masculine industry. He's a miner. And it just, even though he's somewhat of an enlightened, you know, guy, Having said that, he was home for the you know first seven weeks of both the boys um, being born in terms mm. of taking an extended period of paternity leave, like three mm. months or six months, so that I could go back to work and he could be at home with the boys. And I think that it is still unusual to hear of men taking chunks of paternity leave. I remember the role that I was in before I came, before I went to the bar, um, there was a guy mm. who took six months off maternity leave and I still remember just being like genuinely surprised, like, hey, like good for you. And it be that shouldn't be the reaction that you have. It should just be like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. Like you know, it shouldn't be good for you or or whatever. Like it's it should just be so normal and every day mm. that Yeah. Yeah. And the flip side of that though, I do see I know, you know, several men who have all daughters and there is difficulties with them in terms of being with their daughters like taking them to the bathroom when they're in public you know things like that in which society hasn't quite come to the party yet disabled toilet is that I don't know is that where you go yeah society does still see yeah pretty classic gender roles I think in many ways do you ladies have anything to add I know that I'm really lucky that balance at home for us has been fairly equal like um my husband would love to stay home. Well, he used to say before lockdown that he would love to stay home. <laughs> and now given that opportunity, he does wonder why I don't work full-time <laughs> or don't choose to work full-time. <laughs> so it's really nice, you know, the silver lining of this lockdown is that he is having that time with the kids when they're young because he's home. So that that is a silver lining there. Maybe because, as Simone said before, you never pictured yourself to be the um, – the person carrying that load in the home, like the homemaker type, you never wanted that role necessarily. I probably thought that too when I was younger, but I, I've kind of made my peace with it. And and But I've also pushed in my relationship to make sure that it's not all on me as well. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't even know what else to add to that. Sorry. No, I like that. I think as you say, Sarah, the idea of communication, making sure that you have those boundaries, even like your quote said, I think I'm the opposite. I think I wanted to be a mum since I was son, as I can remember. Mm. And I like the idea yes. of staying home and being with the kids. But then once it happened, <laughs> I really, <laughs> I really <laughs> missed maybe not so much the workplace, but the stimulation and just using my brain for something other than you know Peppa Pig. And that's why I started. I work from home. Why I started working from home. Oh, when my daughter, my firstborn, was six weeks, I finished my masters and started working from home, and I was just busy, 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 because I missed it so much. But no, I, I enjoyed it. There's some, some time, like some days, I, you know, get a bit over it, and I have said, you know, I want to go back to the office, and my husband's like, yeah, that's fine, go back. But then I think, okay, but then I've still got the mental load. It's not like I go to work, come home, and my dinner's cooked for me. It's still. I've, got a job but I've got to do everything else as well. So the third topic I was interested in discussing was the idea of career and success in a profession and Kat your quote is success is liking yourself, liking what you do and liking how you do it. So why did you choose that quote? I chose that quote because before having kids I thought success was about climbing the ladder, getting on top and yeah making a lot of money and you know materialistic have materialistic things to show for it whereas now success to me is just enjoying life especially with this lockdown I've realized that materialistic things is just it's nothing do you know what I mean doesn't mean anything yeah so for me now success is having your family your friends you don't need to have tangible things to me I know to me it's not worth it and what about your career so is that does that quote still apply to your career or is your career now no longer as important to you Oh no, my career is no longer important to me <laughs> compared to um what I like the amount of importance I put on it before to now is just 
yeah, it's a huge difference. I don't even particularly want to go back into an office ever again. So now we're thinking of, you know, doing other things for income rather than, yeah, having to go back into the office for that nine to five job. I don't know, for me, I just don't particularly want to do that again. For example, I went to work, maybe it was last year or the year before, I went to work concreting with my husband and it was just the best mm. day ever. <laughs> I was just, you know, in, I was dirty and I was exhausted and I was sore, but I had just, yeah, the best day ever. So I guess that's a massive learning curve for me because it was just, you know, in the sunshine, you're outside, everyone's having a laugh. It's not such a serious environment to be in. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that compared to being in an office. I agree with Kat about having babies has changed my heart and it's changed my my attitude to life and the things that I want out of it like I said before I've kind of made my peace with some things I, I feel like I've mallowed quite a bit and that yeah I've I now put importance on on different things than what I necessarily did before and so yes my career has I'm still working I'm, I'm working and I love it most days but I'm not as ambitious as I used to be and I'm happy for that to take a back seat and to put it on hold for a little bit while the kids are young because I know that I can go back, you know, and focus later. But for now, family is what's really important. And um, even my husband now, he's studying full time. He's He'll be a teacher, so our oldest child. And he will um, be ready to start school the same year. You know, that's been a decision based on our family as well. So he's changing his career and the you know, we're just looking forward to the adventures that we can have um, having that family time together. I think this leads actually beautifully into your quote, Sarah, which is you can have it all just not at the same time. So why did you choose that one? Yeah, well, that's exactly it and exactly what I was trying to say before as well, that, you know, I think when I was younger, I thought I can have this all. You know, I, I even came from like, my mum was a single mum and, and didn't work for most of the time that I was at school. And I couldn't I couldn't understand. I was just like, why are you at home? Why don't you go to work? Why don't you want something more than this? And I sort of grew up with that that attitude, I guess, that, you know, I wanted something more. I was quite ambitious. I wanted to get out and see the world and do things and you know, I wanted everything. But you can't really have it all. And it's something that's kind of resonated with me a lot more over the last couple of years and particularly in having kids that somewhere something has to get and and I feel like I've made the choice that want to spend more time with my family. Um, that's been the choice that I've made. And, you know, it's really funny. I have a poster of uh, pictures of all these amazing women from around the world that have done, some of them are fictional, okay, so like Wonder Woman and Khaleesi are on there as well. But, you know, there's uh, it's in my daughter's room. I, I gave that to her. It was a framed and it's on the wall in her room of all these different women that have changed the world as such. And I guess that's the attitude I had when I was younger too. But then there's been days more recently that I've looked at that and I've gone, these women are amazing, but they don't have it all. They actually haven't got all of those things, you know, or they haven't had it all at the same time, you know, with the you know, rare exception of Serena Williams being pregnant and winning a Grand Slam at the same time. Like, So the last topic that I wanted to talk about was the one that really united us and that was the idea of being a mother and fulfilling that role in society today. And Kat, the quote you had was, having children just puts the whole world into perspective. Everything else just disappears. So why did you choose that one? Yeah, so I think that relates back to um, what I was saying with the career quotes, that since having my kids, I just, I've, I guess I've put that on the back burner. I haven't really cared as much as what I did beforehand. That was like my whole world, you know, having this career and working up the ranks. And now it's more surrounding, I guess, yeah, you've got to make an income, but doing what fits around your family and what I enjoy rather than just focusing mm. solely on how can I make the most money. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, do you have anything else to add to that? Oh, I love this quote. It's exactly how I feel as well, Kat, that it's, like I said before, that my my heart has changed. It's just kids are, are more important in my life right now. Yeah. Simone, what about you? Uh <laughs> This quote doesn't resonate with me at all. <laughs> I don't know if I'm just not a particularly maternal person. I don't think mothering comes particularly naturally to me, but having children hasn't particularly changed my perspective on the world and, and it certainly hasn't had the effect where everything else has disappeared. If anything, it has made me more driven and more ambitious to be a good role model for my boys so that they can, if they end up being straight, can look for those qualities in a female partner 
as they get older as well and so that they can respect women as equal and dominant and assertive and strong and that those are not going to be negative qualities that they see in women as they get older. Yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't particularly resonate for me uh, in that I'm still just as driven and ambitious and career-focused as I was before I had children. I think for me, as I said, obviously I'm fulfilling that sort of more maternal role at home and the more traditional maternal role at home. But for me, I know that I'm not cut out to be a stay-at-home mum. I'm just not. You know, I'm, I enjoy parts of it, but there is also a part of my identity that I feel is lacking a little bit at the moment, not being, you know, in a more well-defined job. And I can, so I understand that part 100% with you, Simone, but I also think the way that it's changed my perspective is to change the world that my children grow up in. I didn't see it like that before and that certainly changed my perspective that I want to be a part of change like in education. I want to see that change. I'd like to see gender roles become less divided. I'd like to see more equality in the world. So all of those things, I didn't see the world like that before. I just lived in it and I worked in it and I did the best I could in it. Whereas now I see some of the flaws and I'd like to be part of that change now that I've had children. Yeah, whereas I think that I had that drive to make a difference and, and make change before I had the kids. Mm. You know, I, I've working in the profession that I'm in and dealing, you know, with clients in the criminal justice system uh, and both defending and prosecuting, you know, I see the, the absolute worst of society and, and I want to make a difference. And, and I always have mm. uh, and that's why I do the mm. job that I do and that's why I love the job that I do because you do genuinely you know make a difference in people's lives every day of the job so I don't think it particularly changed my perspective to effectively put a, a face on you know those uh, <laughs> to perhaps make it more specific in that um, you know I also want to make a change so that they're growing up in a better more equal more fair society but I don't think that that's actually really changed my perspective um, from what it was before I had them. Mm-hmm. Simone, with what you said then, it made me think about the reasons that why I became a teacher in the first place. You know, you talk about having, you see a lot of people in the criminal justice system, whether you're defending or prosecuting, but, you know, you would probably agree that there'd be a whole chunk of the defendants there that are um, lacking in education or haven't come from a nurturing background. And I noticed that when in my previous role, I was working in a youth work field slash drug and alcohol counselling type stuff. And I really noticed that the biggest way for me to be able to make a difference was to get to them before they got into that system. So if I can make a difference by mm. making someone feel nurtured at school and helping them thrive like academically, but you know, it's not it's not about just academics. Like I said before, it's about more than that. Yeah. So that's kind of the way that I've used, I guess the, maybe the more maternal side of me to be able to try and have a bigger impact on the world because if I can do that at high school for, I don't know, a couple of hundred students each year or however it happens to be, then perhaps then that's leading to something positive later. So that still hasn't changed for me. Like I said, I, I really love my job. And when I say most days, it's only because it's sometimes really hard. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I just wanted to say that what you said really made me think again about why I got into teaching in the first place. And it was because I saw the people that were coming through my door needing help with, you know, well, they were having to head to the magistrate's court for, you know, a number of drug charges and all sorts of other things. You know, the area that I could make the most impact was to go back and look at education. Mm. I watched Freedom Riders last night for the first time. Sounds exactly like a teacher in that. I love Freedom Riders. <laughs> yeah. So that's really funny that you say that, Simone, because last remote learning, like the original last term, that's actually the film that I um, did with my year 12 students. Yeah, no, I remember um, you saying that. I saw it last night on Netflix and I was like, oh, Sarah says this is really good. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I remember one time with friends, I probably would have been in high school myself because I was catching the train. I was at a train station. So um, I remember sitting on the platform and just seeing these young people and then I saw this really young guy hanging out with like older people and, and I remember thinking, something's going on in this person's life where's their positive person at home like where and I wasn't that much older than them and I think that's when I first started wanting to go into the work time make a difference just to 
work out how I could make that better. And like I said before, it's not also, it's also not about changing the whole world, but it's the small impact that you make on whoever it happens to be that day or that year. Yeah. So on the back of that, Sarah, your quote that you chose about being a mother is there's no way to be a perfect mother and a million ways to be a good one. So why did you choose that one? Oh, because perfect doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. There is no perfect. And right around the time that we all met, you know, you're walking into a room full of strangers who have probably read and had the same pressure, you know, from their families or read the same books. Or actually, I know that we had read some of the same books, you know, with the first child. And there's a lot of pressure out there. And even in mother's group, I remember sitting there with all of us and they were telling us this really basic stuff or being really condescending in our group chat you know sitting around in the circle and what the um the child and maternal health nurse was saying I just thought this is too much pressure for everyone like for me I can sort of take away the grain of salt for some of the comments and go okay whatever some of this is common sense but the way even that environment was I know it wasn't necessarily a positive thing for the guests from my perspective at least in that first mother's group I don't think anybody admitted to formula feeding I don't think Mm -hmm. anybody admitted to co-sleeping I don't think many people admitted to having a difficult sleeper and yet by I think three or four sessions there were several people if not all of the people in that room that were doing most of those things Mm. and I think that we all felt that we had to look like look I'm I'm sure I put on the outfit that gave me the least you know pot belly after having a baby and I'd straighten my hair and I'd put my makeup on and you know, I wanted to look like I had it all together too. And I remember, you know, making sure that Olivia had slept just before or that I had her in the carrier so I could bounce her around. So, you know, no one would know that this kid only slept on my chest during the day or whatever. And I think that I had that impression of how I should show up before I got there. And I mean, the beautiful thing about us is the fact that, you know, all of those walls, walls kind of came down. And, and I realized that through the friendships and through the community that we were able to create that, there's no right way of doing it. And I think that obviously you guys are all incredible mothers, even though we might do it slightly differently. But the pressure was certainly there for me walking into that room that day. Yeah. And I, I think that's essentially why, you know, I, I chose that quote that it starts from as soon as you've got a baby and you go off to your mother's group, but it doesn't change. You know, it it, it never really goes away. You still have the pressure as, you know, when you've got a one-year-old or a two-year-old or a three-year-old or a four-year-old, then you have another baby and, you know, you go through it all again. You know, the pressure about the choices that you make, like you said, whether it's formula feeding or not, but then it's like, okay, well, we're going to make the decision, you know, about schools. What school are we going to send our child to? Or um, the pressure about what you feed them for lunch, you know, and the, you know, the lunchbox dilemmas and those sorts of things. So I just think that we all need to cut each other <laughs> mm-hmm. some slack and be like okay it's whatever you need to do is is how you do it you know there's plenty of ways to be a good mum and I think that well for the four of us and for most people out there you know everyone's just trying their best but there's no such thing as perfect. Mm. Do you think we're under more scrutiny now that we can see how everybody else is parenting on social media and seeing it through a very specific lens do you think that has an impact? Oh, I think it has a, a negative impact on well the pressure is there even more because what we're seeing on social media is a picture of perfection. It's not the picture of like, you know, the dirty laundry all throughout the house and the fact that you only put makeup on that particular day to take that photo, the screen match that happened leading <laughs> yeah. up to the photo. Yeah. And so it, it's not a behind the scenes account. It's the perfection that somebody wants to put out there. And there are definitely some brave people out there that are trying to, you know, knock that all down and make it as real as it possibly can be which is great too, but I I think there's still people are still wanting to put the image of perfection out. What women intentionally try to put out there is that picture of perfection. And I think what we have lost part of is the behind the scenes conversations. And, you know, we're not necessarily friends with our neighbours anymore. And we're not having those informal catch-ups where you just walk into somebody's house without saying, hey, I'm on my way, you know, um, that's how I remember growing up. I remember, you know, being able to just walk in and out of pretty much any like 
there was about 10 houses in the street, I think, that I could just go in and out of and my mum would be the same and my family would be the same because we'd just all be able to, like, sit around and have a coffee and a, and a chat, that sort of thing. I wasn't having a coffee when I was 10. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm trying to say, what I'm essentially trying to say is that I feel like we have lost our village when we're talking about, you know, that it takes a village to raise a child, I feel like because we are always looking for trying to be perfect and we're trying to do all these other things other than just being mums, that we've isolated ourselves somewhat as well and that we no longer have that village community of where everyone comes together and shares really informally. And I think I'm feeling that even more now in lockdown um, because I think there is a certain element of grief in lockdown that we're, we're obviously grieving for what our lives were like, you know, at the start of the year. But it's even more apparent to me that I didn't have that village prior to this lockdown anyway. And I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to get that. And you girls are great. And I've got really great family and friends. But it's not like that. Yeah, maybe because everybody is trying to show that they are got their shit together pretty much, you know, like you're welcome yeah. to come to my house, but I know that I want you to text me first so I can clean up a little bit. You know, those mm. those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, a, a classic example of that would be, you know, I sent you guys a bunch of family photos yesterday and mm. I deliberately haven't put them on social media because they are such a false representation of what is going on in my house right now. <laughs> you know, I literally, as you said, I put makeup on specifically for those photos. I put that dress on just for those photos, got out of my tracksuit pants. I bribed my three-and-a-half-year-old with snakes to put on a country road polo shirt that his grandmother had given him. And I dressed up the baby and I wouldn't let the baby eat anything so that he wouldn't get filthy dirty before the photos. And, yes. <laughs> and I cleared everything out of the back of the photos and tucked all the pyjamas, you know, away so you couldn't see them under the pillows. It is, it's just such a false representation of what was happening in my house. You know, we were screaming, mm. bribing, tantrums, get out of his face, get out of his face, I can just leave him alone, like just constantly for the whole day. And and yes. and and I love the photos, they're beautiful photos. And the reason that we took the photos was because <laughs> there are no photos of me and my children and I cracked it and said, right, we're taking photos. And, you know, if I was to put that on social media, that doesn't represent the, you know, first two and a half weeks I've had of lockdown when my husband's been away for 16 of those days. And I've been on my own with two little boys, pretty much just losing my mind. And so I don't think it's fair on any of my connections on social media to look at those photos and be like, gee, Simone's really got her shit together. Excuse that French. Um, <laughs> because I don't. And it's it's fake. And it's I purely wanted it as a memory, you know, in, for, in, for in 20 years. So I can be like, oh, look, I had a nice photo with the kids. But it's not in any way representative of what's happening right now in my house. And I also just wanted you guys to know that as well. <laughs> and you know what? I am so guilty of this. I'll say to Tom, there's no pictures of me, nice pictures of me with the kids. I always take nice pictures of you. Look at you. Look, I've got reels and reels of them. And he takes photos of me and I go, oh, I look hideous. Delete it. And that's my biggest. Do you do this too? I'm just like there's such a vanity element to me yep. that, <laughs> you know, he finally does Why do you think I was all done up? <laughs> No, but I'm like, oh, you know, and oh, that's a beautiful picture. I'm like, oh my god, I'm look at that angle. My gosh, you know, I haven't. And that's the other thing that, again, I would say is conditioned in me that I still want to look really good when I'm cuddling my child after having a screaming meltdown and making seventeen hundred thousand lunch boxes for the day, and you know, half of them eaten, and I've vacuumed ten times, and all of that. And I think the more real we can be, even with ourselves, and and see that that photo is actually the real thing rather than me asking him to take it again because I wasn't looking the right way, you know, and even that's something I've got to work on. I know I have to work on it. But I'm with you in terms of social media. I try really hard not to put up the happy family pictures because I don't really like it. Yeah, Not that there's anything wrong with it, but, you know, for me, I like the authenticity a bit more. Just as a funny aside, when I said to Ben, um, there's no photos of me and the kids, he proceeds to go through his phone and find a photo of the two boys on a, on the swing because he's just built them swings. On So they're both on the swings and I'm in the background with the pole literally covering my face, gardening <laughs> in the background. And he goes, look, there's one of you with the boys. 
<laughs> oh, honey's bye. Go and get dressed. Go and get dressed. We're doing it. Kat, do you have anything to add? I think um, social media media just is so not realistic. And I think with I've got a close maybe five or six other mum friends that I can text and I know that they'll be real about their days or how lockdown's going for them. But I also think that they will only, like, how do I put this? They'll only be real if you're real too. Yeah. Yes. Do you know what I mean? So if you're doing all this in my life's great, yeah. then no one's going to relate to you. Yeah. Whereas if you're real about it, then you're obviously relatable. So then they'll open up about their how they're going. Um, I found that with my friends who have had babies after me who have asked me for advice on things. And, and I remember saying to one of them, you know, whose who's little boy is, I think maybe a couple of years younger than my oldest, you know, she's like, she's like, you know, how did you feel sort of the first few weeks? And I said, oh, I cried pretty much every day for the first five weeks that my oldest was born. And she was like, oh, thank you. She goes, I thought that was just my anxiety playing up or, you know, that I was depressed or she's like, it's so refreshing for you to say that, you know, and, and it's exactly what Kat just said, that if you're real with them, they'll be real back to you. And I'm like 100% for that with my girlfriends who have had babies after me. I'd sort of lay it bare and just, you know, be like, hey, at nine weeks, I was at my friend's house going, what have I done? I want to give him back, <laughs> you know, and. And people can relate to that because, well, you know, some people can relate to that, you know, because you're being real. Like it's not it's not all perfect and roses. I was just going to say, I think I've said to you guys before, like the first, I don't know, 10 weeks of Ava's life, I honestly have no idea what I did, what happened, when I slept, when I ate, when I showered, no idea Yeah, because I was just so exhausted. And I think it's a fine line. I don't know if you felt this, but when people are pregnant, excited to bring in that new baby you know how much you say and how real are you then because I don't think many people want to hear the realness but then once the babies are here and you know it is challenging no matter how maternal you are I think you know I think everybody has a challenge either on the path to motherhood or being a mother there's always challenges but it's all about finding that right timing sometimes it's really validating other times that can be seen seen as criticism and I find that line to be a hard one to tread sometimes and probably also depends on the person's personality and can they handle the truth? <laughs> and have they come to ask you? I tend to err on the side of not giving much information while they're pregnant yeah. uh, just because it's mm. almost a shoot the messenger kind yeah. of thing because they don't, they don't want to hear it. But just to make sure that I'm 100% yeah. there yeah. once I've had the baby. <laughs> so, Simone, your quote about motherhood is, motherhood is a choice you make every day to put someone else's happiness and well-being ahead of your own to teach the hard lessons, to do the right thing, even when you're not sure what the right thing is, and to forgive yourself over and over again for doing everything wrong. Why did you choose that quote? Uh, I think the quote mostly spoke to me because, and I think I said earlier that I don't consider myself a natural mother and I'm also a perfectionist. So, you know, the choices that I make about being a mother every day, I'm constantly questioning what I'm doing. And every night, you know, after I put my boys to bed, I'm constantly thinking that I should have done something differently or better or responded better or given more time. And so having to forgive myself for what, you know, what I consider to be failures every day, that's been a real steep learning curve for me in terms of becoming a mum. Kat, do you have anything that you think about that quote? Yeah, it's a really good quote. And I agree with Simone, it's once you put the kids to bed and you reflect on the day and you think, I guess, the words you've used, the choices, how you've responded to tantrums, whatever you've dealt with through the day, it does make you think, oh, have I done it right? Have I hopefully not damaged them for the future? <laughs> mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's, it, is, it is hard and especially with all the conflicting, all the articles that you can read and, you know, advice you can get from different people or on the internet, social media, it is really hard to figure out the way that you want to do it and yeah stick with it and make sure that they do grow to be I guess yeah good people not just you know what I'm saying yeah I think you're right there's just so much information and we have so much access to all the information all the time and it's really hard to decipher what aligns with you and what doesn't and I think you can find criticism for everything that you do and you can find validation for everything that you do and so it's really challenging I think to work out exactly what path you want to take. The best advice that I was given was just to just go with your gut and I think every time that I have gone with my gut feeling it's basically being right for my kids even if it's not what you know other people are doing with their kids. Yeah. But you've just got to let go of that and realise that 
not everything has to be the same with other people. Yeah. It wouldn't even, yeah, that would just be a boring world. That would be, that would be, we were all the same. We raised our kids all the same. Yeah. What about you, Sarah? <laughs> I don't know what I think. I all of a sudden feel really nervous about talking because I, over, I overthink it and then when I hear it back, I overthink it again and again and again and I make changes in my head or I think about how that would sound to other people. And, you know, I guess that that is this quote that we all feel a little bit insecure about what we're doing all the time, you know, that we do feel insecure about what I do. I shouldn't say that you do, but about the choices that we make and how we're raising our children and if we're doing the right thing, if we could have done it better, and that you do just have to go with, you know, stick with your values and go with your gut, like Kat said. I also look at, you know, the very first line of that is that motherhood is a choice that you make every day and I'm really happy with my choice and, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really excited about watching these kids grow and change and learn and all the things that happen and even just over, you know, this period of lockdown, how much they've grown because they're so little. So I'm happy to have made that choice and to be making that choice each day, maybe because I like making other people happy. And so it's good to see my kids be happy or um, to make other people happy. But I also know that at some stage I need to make sure that I'm making myself happy. And I still don't feel confident in what I'm actually saying right now. No, that was now. good. Yeah, I think it's good too. But I think motherhood is marketed in so many ways too, you know, from marketing what we should be purchasing, also how we should be showing up in the world, how motherhood should look versus how the reality is and I mean, if, if you think about what motherhood looked like before you were a mother, you know, it was lying in these beautiful white sheets, touching baby's nose and in a Johnson & Johnson's commercial. And if you think that that's the reality and that's how it's marketed to you and sold to you, then, you know, it's a pretty high fall from grace, I think. And, yeah, and um, my, my lifestyle is now that I choose to put my children first too. So, and I'm happy to give that. I'm, I'm happy to make that choice. You know, I don't feel like I, I think I sort of spoke about it before that it's, you know, with everything else going on in my life or all the other aspects of it, I'm, yeah, I'm really happy just, yeah. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Laura. Yeah, thank you for having us. No, thanks, Laura.